It's Block Time. This is Michael Tidwell. And this is Michael B. Casey. And today we're talking to Jack Shaw. Jack, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself? Well, sure. Uh, the reason I'm having the opportunity to uh, talk with these fine gentlemen is uh, because of my role as Executive Director of the American Blockchain Council. Uh, the American Blockchain Council is a not-for-profit organization that was created to help educate senior-level executives on the strategic business implications of blockchain. So we've had a chance to do that working with groups in a lot of different industries, uh, a lot of different countries. Just got back a few weeks ago from speaking at London Blockchain Week. Uh, and uh, a lot of different functional areas of responsibility. Next week I'm speaking at a major procurement conference uh, down in Florida, for example. And it's all about making sure that decision makers who actually allocate the resources understand why blockchain is something that's important and that they need to be thinking about and planning for. So what, what's a little bit about your background, Jack? Fair enough. Uh, I'm a technology futurist, and uh, I've actually been doing that for probably 30 years now, although it wasn't until about 20 years ago that I actually coined the term technology futurist um, and uh, had a way of describing what I'd been doing for a decade or more at that point anyway. But uh, it's about helping people understand emerging technologies, what they mean, and, and what they can be. So uh, blockchain is not my first rodeo when it comes to emerging technologies, uh, but I'm extremely excited about blockchain. So what is a blockchain, Jack? Your well, definition. You're going to hear a lot of different definitions. Uh, I recently wrote a, a definition on the meaning of blockchain. Um, and... Uh, which does not answer your question, but I'll circle back around to answer that question in a moment. Because I think more important than the technical details of how does it work are what it means. And what I see blockchain is, is that for uh, people, organizations, business, government entities that need to assure uh, the validity of uh, identity, ownership, uh, transactions, um, that blockchain technology provides a uh, new capability to verify the integrity of that information better than anything we've had before. So uh, forget about the technical definition. What would you define as the properties of a blockchain? Like I think from a business perspective, the key properties of a blockchain are first that you have an immutable time-stamped record of whatever it is you're keeping records of. So how do you keep that immutability? Is What kind of consensus algorithm it, uh, defines a blockchain as well? Well, I think one of the things that's interesting is that uh, a lot of the people who are much more advanced technically than I do are having very interesting debates about what kinds of consensus algorithms are the best ones to use, uh, what we should be doing as far as things like block sizes and other technical details of uh, blockchain implementation. For those people who are doing hands-on implementation right now, they have to be thinking about some of those, but at, at the risk of, uh, of this not coming across um, uh, as intended, those are what I refer to as mere technical problems. And by that, what I mean is not that they're not important to address, because it's important that the underlying infrastructure work right and continue to improve, uh, that it be responsive, that it be fast, 
and there's a lot of different ways to approach it from a technical perspective. And you guys could probably state better than I what, what those alternatives are. I know there are a lot of people here. But what my experience of many years of dealing with emerging technologies are is that so long as the solutions to those problems do not require us to violate the fundamental laws of physics as we understand them, when the economic incentive is there, the engineers will figure out a way to solve the technical issues. We're already moving ahead with some very impressive blockchain implementations, and uh, I think that the uh, technical underpinnings of how it's being done are going to continue to evolve, get stronger, better, faster, as the economic demand for those capabilities emerges. So, Jack, uh, what, what do you see as the most promising blockchain technology that is currently out or on the horizon? Like, which, which branch or vein, purpose, application, well, you know, project? I, Project. I, yeah. When if you want to talk about projects, that you know, I think that that's a little bit different. Uh, I I think that the most, first of all, clearly there's a lot of important stuff being done in fintech, uh, but I think that has more to do with the fact that financial services organizations, the financial services industry, probably in response to the perceived threat of Bitcoin. Um, uh, to disintermediate key players in the industry, but also more broadly as we look at everything from trading securities to uh, insurance, processing insurance claims and so forth, um, has uh, responded more quickly. They've developed a level of awareness of the implications of blockchain technology, and as a result, they are investing in a range. So I would say certainly the I'm, I'm most impressed with the progress that's being made in financial services so far. At the same time, I think the two other major areas where uh, there are a number of important uh, uh, and impressive uh, projects underway are uh, supply chain and uh, healthcare. And uh, as far as the underlying technologies, again, there's pros and cons to both. You know, clearly the the benefits of of uh, proof of work in terms of the pure validation for the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, is very effective. On the other hand, uh, it's extremely energy consumptive and it's hard for it to keep up with the transaction volumes involved. Ethereum looks very good in terms of its support for smart contracts. And I believe smart contracts are not only going to change the legal industry, but change the way that organizations engage in legal contracts as their business models change through the blockchain. Uh, but again, in terms of the, the nitty gritty, uh, evaluation of the technical alternatives. I leave that to the guys who are really down in, you know, uh, down on the ground, so to speak, of uh, so dealing with the technical issues. Do you believe the future belongs primarily to public, private, or consortium blockchains? Yes, absolutely. That's a good answer. <laughs> I suppose that's as good as any. <laughs> because I think that all three of those have a role to play. Can you talk about private? Um, you know, private blockchains, to my way of thinking, are a little bit like the intranets that we began to see emerge in the mid-90s. And by the early 2000s, uh, bandwidth and security had become so strong relative to what it had been before that companies were much more comfortable in the notion of exchanging data over the public internet. But there was some real valuable value and some important progress that was made in terms of rethinking key business processes 
with intranets that were only used within companies or between companies and privately, if you will, permission to trading partners uh, at that time. And I see a very strong parallel between that and what's being done with permissioned private uh, blockchains currently. It's allowing those people, especially in highly regulated industries like financial services, to move ahead with a level of comfort that they would not have on more public blockchains right now. So <clears throat> is mining required for a blockchain to be a blockchain? That's a deeper philosophical technical question than I'm qualified to answer. Okay. Um, I think that... Uh, um, can I ask if another question? Do, yeah, let's pass. Let's pass on it. Uh, the, that is, raises the question: In a private blockchain, do you have to be able to do mining in order to have the blockchain right? And keep if, an immutable if so, record. If, well, it can't be immutable if it's private because you can always change it at any point in time. That's, yeah, and I know that's a defining characteristic yeah. of a blockchain, like what we said earlier. And yeah. that gets us back to the intranet versus internet discussion. So, of, so do you move ahead using a reasonable facsimile of the technology to try to learn from that well so yeah uh, real, a good test bed. so so real quick uh if we if we define a blockchain having one property being immutability is it possible to have a private blockchain that's immutable well i guess technically if it doesn't have any mining then technically it's not immutable uh it's just a uh Perhaps a, a more secure, a more convoluted method of unwinding it, if uh, than a traditional shared database of some kind. Would you consider a proof of stake uh, blockchain immutable? Pardon me. Would you consider a proof of stake model? There's no mining in that. Would you consider it immutable as well? That gets back to the question of: Do the stakeholders agree to change something? Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's, if the stakeholders agree to change it, it can be changed, which means it's not immutable. I think those, I think those are, you know, those yeah. are excellent technical questions, and quite frankly, those are technical questions that I have right now. Uh, I don't, we don't try to advise people on the technical architecture of their implementations because there are a lot of really smart, knowledgeable people who know that stuff a lot better. What we are basically dealing at is the next level or two up, which is helping people understand what. What can be done implications. with the technology? What so, the can we talk about what can be done in the with blockchains? And let's talk about that. I think that that is something so, that you know where there's. You, okay, I was going to say you already talked about what can be done. I, I remember like you're talking about stuff in fintech, uh, healthcare. Well, healthcare. Can we chain. can we can we talk about one of those industries like healthcare, for instance? Sure, healthcare is an interesting situation. So let me and let is, me, and and then also talk about. Is that private, consortium, public? Because I feel like it's really important to know if you're uh, talking about like an industry, like how, like what kind of blockchain they're going to be using when you start talking about that use case. Uh, I think that from what I can see, if we're looking out, say, five to ten years, we're going to see an evolution to where the level of security and comfort with private, excuse me, with public blockchains is going to be significant enough. Uh, the drive, for example, for having self-sovereign um, identity and self-sovereign uh, electronic medical records or electronic healthcare records um, is going to be strong enough that we'll have public blockchain-based records. Now, how exactly we do that, whether we have private side chains that periodically synchronize to the public blockchain or so forth, again, the technical folks will figure out the right solutions to make those happen. What about something like a, just a normal database that does like a proof of existence to Bitcoin, like with uh, something like uh, Tyrion? 
uh, again, we're we're getting into uh, you know okay. which technical that's, implementation that's fine. is going to be yeah. better. And I you know I don't have uh, I'm not only technically agnostic. Uh, I'm uh, well, I wouldn't think it's fair to call me technically ignorant compared to 99% of the population. But compared to the people who are technical experts, yeah, there are so people who understand those issues more. As a technology futurist, what do you think the impact will be uh, based on the fact that cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology can be utilized by AI just as easily as human beings? Do you think that's going to play a role? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, for example, we will have uh, automated procurement systems that go out uh, solicit bids or even look for uh, offers to sell products or services on the internet that through the blockchain will be able to validate that these products and services are certified by whatever the appropriate certification authority might be underwriters laboratory if it's an electric you know electrical appliance of some kind for example or, or the Federal Aviation Administration if it's an air, airplane part okay We'll be able to negotiate with the AI order management capabilities of uh, supplier organizations. We'll be able to validate uh, contracts to procure products or services uh, and document those through smart contracts on the blockchain. Uh, we'll be able to use technologies like IoT to confirm that uh, uh, product or service has been used or has been installed or implemented, what have you, uh, or has been completed effectively. So what kind of implementation of uh, blockchain and the IoT do you envision? Well, I think that there's a couple things. One is that I think IoT will assist in validating the identity, excuse me, I flipped that backwards. Blockchain will assist in validating the identity of things on the internet of things. Can I, oh, uh, I want to ask a question. Uh, you, you're saying like verify this, validate that, and that's like a big, uh, you know, use case for for blockchains. Why not just have a trusted third party that that can do that val validation for you, verification, have something more efficient than a blockchain, for instance? For cost. Yeah, but centralized systems are always going to be more efficient than a, a blockchain. Uh, um, in a in a narrow definition of the word, yes, that's correct. But are they going to be more efficient in terms of the way the overall business ecosystem works and the cost? So you're talking effect. about like regulatory arbitrage kind of deals, like where you can get around regulation or? No, no, not necessarily to get around regulations. I think having, reg having regulators be able to look into uh, data on the blockchain is going to be one of the things that facilitates uh, regulation, but I think we can take cost out of the regulatory systems if we can reduce the cost of auditing, for example, business transactions, uh, and we can basically hand the auditors a read-only key to uh, a uh, set of blockchain data that they know uh, has not been tampered with, uh, and where the transaction represents, you know, the record is the transaction. Um, so, so we need a, uh, but do you really need a blockchain to, to in order to have the uh, verification that data hasn't been tampered with? Can't we just uh, uh, have a company do that for us, or is or is this like you can't really just trust anybody? I guess if you're going to get, let's put it this way: if 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 your uh, if your auditors are coming in house and uh, you've hired them. 
you're pretty much going to trust that they're, you know, they've signed all kinds of non-disclosure agreements and stuff like that. You're pretty much going to trust that they're not going to share any information that they shouldn't be sharing other than what they're supposed to report on as auditors. On the other hand, uh, if the way that the audit function is being done is by giving the auditors access to information that you share with key trading partners on a public blockchain because it's more for efficient for you to do business with them, with those trading partners that way, and with the auditors because it's faster and more efficient for the auditors to verify, validate that information, um, then you're going to have to have some kind of mechanism that you can trust. And the level of trust, level of integrity of blockchain technology is a lot higher than worrying about whether a third-party intermediary of some kind that you might otherwise use for that in some kind of centralized database, are they going to keep it secure? Or is it going to be like having our uh, credit cards, you know, oh, sure, well, I do a lot of business with Target, but what could it possibly hurt me to have my credit card stored at Target? Well, we found that out a few years so ago. What are your thoughts on, on the more anonymous cryptocurrencies and blockchains with uh, obfuscation like the Moneros of the world, the, the Zcashes? Like, what, what, how do you view those? Um, you know, I've kind of got mixed feelings on that from a... How you're using anonymous transactions. I mean... I just assume not have to worry about whether somebody's going to track every time I pick up a newspaper or may or have the ability to track every time I pick up a newspaper or magazine. You know what am I reading? So I don't mind. It's a that valid being, concern. Yeah. So I don't. I don't mind that being anonymous. But on the other hand, the problem with that is that also makes it easier uh, for the bad guys to do stuff anonymously. That. But is that really the property of money? You know, is that money's responsibility to police? Well, I don't know. We already have that problem with cash. And is cash bad? Is it evil? No, and cash is not going to go away. Technology is never inherently good nor evil. You it's don't think we're going towards a cashless society? No, we're, gonna, we're going to a less cash society, not a cashless society. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, a lot less checks. People still write checks, but not nearly as many as we used to. Yeah, so interesting about the checks. I mean, we, we, this side note, but... Checks have like reduced by like ninety nine. I actually have a friend who works amount. at check fraud at a bank, yeah, they, so they are still there. Yeah, no, but it's well, just like a they, three person apartment. It, it so, used yeah. to, it used to be like all the Fed central banks used to help process checks or something, and now it's down to just one. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, I think it's in Atlanta too. Or, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Atlanta is yeah. like a checking yeah. hub. I, um, I, yeah, I can believe that. It's you know, I I think that digital currencies in general and Bitcoin in particular are going to become a viable alternative payment mechanism just as back in the 60s and 70s when check checks and cash suddenly found that a another new viable payment mechanism had emerged credit cards followed by debit cards so uh, you say alternative viable payment method do you, do you think that it, it will eclipse the modern payment methods or, or do you think it will just be a lesser technology oh, well, like a alternative you know at at some point yeah at some point i think we'll probably end up with all of our currencies being digital. That's probably going to take another generation. 
can I I want to ask you a question. You I'm guessing you have used Bitcoin. I have some, not a lot, and, a little bit. And your your uses of Bitcoin, do you consider them ideal? Uh, kind of like a you're just using it for the fun of it, or did you actually need to use Bitcoin? Can you talk about? For me personally, uh, the the fun of it, uh, mostly to learn a little bit about it, uh, and and in one uh, and in one case to do somebody a favor who was out of cash. I'm sorry. What was that first one? I missed that. Well, for yes, for the fun of it, okay. to to just learn a little bit more about it, get a little bit of practical experience. Okay. And 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 three, uh, to do somebody a favor who was out of cash. All right, I'll take some Bitcoin. Was he a drug cash. dealer? No, she was not a drug dealer. Oh, are you she sure? Was she any other services? <laughs> okay. Uh, any particular value? Um. Okay. Other than attending so, a conference so, I was at. So w why do you think people would use Bitcoin over a credit card if with a credit card I can save like maybe 2% or something on a, on a transaction? Tell you, I'll tell you why. I think one of the reasons one of the, is as a professional speaker, I speak all over the world and I work with, with uh, uh, speakers bureaus around the world. Okay. Last time I got paid by an overseas speakers bureau. Um, the net amount of the payment, because part of the deal with the Speakers Bureau is they paid me my net fee after they take out their commission, uh, but the net amount of the payment was reduced by their wire transfer fee. Okay. Okay. That's a valid use. Then when I, when I deposited it in my bank, when it was deposited in my bank, my bank turned around, took that net, and then charged me another. In both cases, it was $30. So I was short $60, and it took three business days for that wire transfer to arrive. And there's no reason why, with especially a Bitcoin-based uh, payment mechanism, even if you're moving in and out of fiat currencies and banks at both ends, that the whole transaction should have been done uh, in less than an hour for less than probably five bucks total. So why even five bucks? Why not like a text why not message? 50 cents? So, so why do you think they charge so much with a, like a wire transfer? Because of all the costs of handling in between, one they can. There's no, there's little competition for it. And two, you do have costs of handling in between. You got groups like Swift that charge fees to the banks, and the banks charge processing fees. It's a lot of exception handling on it. You know, because if there, if that weren't the case, if those weren't actual costs that were involved, then pretty quickly Bank A would say, "Why wire transfer funds? Why pay thirty bucks over here?" We'll charge you five dollars because that's all it really costs us. Isn't it collusion? Why? Why? Because yeah. we just said we could, it could be fifty cents if, if we're going down to the actual cost. If you had digital currency enabled capabilities okay. underlying it, it could be fifty cents, and the banks would pocket forty five happily, and most people wouldn't mind paying fifty cents. So, it, but I don't like paying fifty bucks or sixty bucks. So, do you think that if you know remittances? Uh, through cryptocurrency really got that efficient through uh, for everybody that eventually if it really started cutting into Swift and whatnot wouldn't they just lower their fees no because they can't keep their old model up without doing it I think what they're gonna have to do is switch over to uh, blockchain enabled digital so like a fabric some kind of fabric this so, so help like Apache Kafka versus like uh, uh, some kind of what is it uh, mainframe now, now you guys well, are back well, into no. the technical. Well, discussion no, I mean it's not just a mainframe right now. It's it it's, just... it's one one system interfacing with one another system, and at every 
every level of the transfer, somebody has to manually perform an action. So that's the way the system so works it, now. Aren't those manual? Aren't those manual uh, transactions done for secure? You know, like for security. Well, yeah. I mean, basically, that's done because the parties don't trust each other, so it has to go through toll gates, and the toll gates are trusted third parties of trusted so, third parties. So how is so is R three addressing this kind of issue? As I understand it, with um, so you know R three is not using a blockchain. Well. They they they've actually they they, said, they we're said we're not using a blockchain because block there's, there's no reason. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I think they're trying to address it, but yeah. I th I think so. This is my theory, and you you can take it as you want. I think what's going to end up happening is these cryptocurrencies are going to yeah indeed cut into Swift eventually, and I think you know they're just going to lower their fees. I think I think they're going to find fat to cut real well, real fast. Now, if they use a non-blockchain private network. Like R three to be able to uh, uh, facilitate that, that's fine. And if they can tie it in automated systems, if they can do the validation of identity for KYC AML at the front end, revalidate it at the back end, have automated systems that do it faster and more efficiently than people at each step along the process, everybody wins. They're more efficient. They operate. They continue to operate at a profit. People get their money moved faster, more accurately, more efficiently, much then, lower cost. And then blockchains die. Maybe, maybe not. There will be other applications for the technology. I'm just a skeptic, I guess, <laughs> sometimes. Well, uh, no, I think I'm good, Jack. Thank uh, you very much. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a pleasure. Jack, it was, it was really uh, interesting interviewing you. Thank you so much. Well, and I appreciate uh, you coming out to my meetups when, when you do. So. All right. Well, and I'll try to get back out again as soon as I can. Okay, Mike, Next I think the nonsense is found. Thanks. Our blog has been solved. Enjoyed it. Thanks Bye. so much, guys. <laughs> uh,